just had the spark in my mind from God going, get everybody around, pray over this boat motor, and it's going to start. <laughs> but I did it. I got everybody around. And I just said, Lord Jesus, please, you know, this, this motor is going to start. Pulled nothing. And I was just like, well, you see, Lord, you know, this is now, now how awkward is this going to be? And I felt him say, no, once more. Prayed again. Tried it once more. Before I pulled, I remember just going, Lord Jesus, please, I do not want to go home in the most awkward time of life. Just just pulled on this thing and it just burst to life. The cheering and the joy of these teenagers. And they spoke about it for months and years to come. Welcome, everybody. This is Simon Gilbo with Inspired. I'm excited to be back again with another fantastic guest. Basically, if you're new to us, Inspired is all about telling stories of the nitty-gritty of uh, following Jesus, of faith, overcoming difficult situations uh, from all sorts of my buddies, different walks of life and different nations. We're just surrounded by relentless bombardment of bad news and through the media. And so we want to build and stir faith and encourage. And I have no doubt that this week you'll be encouraged in 45-odd minutes' time, uh, having heard about all that uh, Craig Roberts has been up to. Welcome, Craig. Hey, Simon. Great to be here. So Craig is from Harare right now. That's where he's uh, dialing in from. And in terms of introduction, what should I say? So basically, back in 2017, uh, a dear old friend of mine, Nick Stott, rang me up and said, can you come down to Zim and do a mission at uh, Falcon and Peterhouse, I think it was, two of the top schools there. And in the end, Nick, uh, for whatever reason, couldn't couldn't make it, and he handed me on to Craig. Uh, funny enough, Craig, I just <laughs> I just met. I just sorry, I just rang Nick for a bit of context. Looking back, and uh, what he said, which is what you probably wouldn't say as part of your intro, and and I'm saying it because the danger is, if anyone was wanting to be negative about this interview, is that you know I'm a wealthy white privileged guy interviewing another. Uh, privileged white Zimbabwean but actually what Nick said was that in your background from when he knew you as a teenager your parents and family had made such sacrifices in their pursuit of Jesus that actually although you did go to a very good school you you've known what it's like to to be hungry to sort of be on the bread line to not have enough to to you know to do more than just eat bread sometimes and 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 that part of God shaping your your background has given you such a passionate heart for the poor. So it's not some privileged white guy. It's not white saviorism, anything like that. And I know most mm. people listening are, are not going to come from that angle. But if there were any just wanting to shoot us down, uh, that's sort of saying that up front. But anyway, I came down, had a fantastic few days. We just bombed around uh, preaching and sharing uh, at some, some churches as well as uh, doing two school missions and just absolutely loved it. So lots and lots of fruit. I remember whilst we were there, actually, the price of basic uh, toiletries just like doubled in my time there. So I got a mini taste of your extraordinary context of sort of hyperinflation. And I remember repeatedly hearing stories of people that had such a hard time. And, and there was always that famous Zim expression, ah, but uh, we'll make a plan. You know, we'll just get through. <laughs> I think it was exactly. Zimbab- Zimbabweans of all stripes, you know, just got incredible resilience. And you know what, Craig, a few years ago when that uh, the Blessing song came out, uh, and I was forwarded the Zimbabwe version of the blessing. And I tell you, I've watched different nations once, hands down, Zimbabwe blessing song. And you, you guys, if you want to Google or YouTube uh, Zimbabwe blessing, it had me literally weeping because uh, that nation has suffered so much. And I sort of saw it through that lens of these people crying out to God for the blessing. And so I've got a massive soft spot for Zimbabwe. Clearly, you've got a bigger soft spot because you are Zimbabwean, Craig, and you live there. <laughs> and uh, anyway, 
anyway, let's let's let, that's that's quite a long introduction. Let's uh, enough of me, more of you. So um, tell us, you know, th- yeah, let's go right back to your childhood years. And I, I know it started off sort of it sounded pretty idyllic, but things have got tougher, haven't they? Yes. Uh, so it's so great to be here, uh, Simon. And uh, yeah, so born in Zimbabwe and um, have, have obviously lived here my whole life, except for uh, heading out a bit for studies. But it, it was at least in the time that I was born, the late um, and, and then late 80s into early 90s. Uh, it was, I would say, an amazing upbringing for anyone, uh, the wealthy, the poor, um, different color of skin, a real sense of togetherness, uh, a real sense of uh, just just joy, chatting to everyone on the street. And so it was uh, yeah, an amazing initial um, upbringing, which I was so grateful for. And I think uh, a lot of people who visit Zim, one of the things they say is just, wow, just, just seem that people are so friendly here. Mm-hmm. And it, it is just such a blessing. I don't know if you found that when you came, I think Absolutely. you did as well, but it's, it's such a blessing. I can't really describe where it's come from, um, but, but it doesn't really matter. The wealth divides or the color divides. There is just a real openness and, and friendliness, which, which is so special. So your father came sort of dramatic to faith and, and that sort of changed your trajectory as a family, didn't it? Yeah, it was it was so interesting. So uh, my my parents had had got together, got married, and a few years into marriage, uh, my I think through a mom's Bible study group, my mom wasn't a believer, but she sort of went along to that, and and over time she started to visit a church down the road, and there was she says there was sort of a significant uh, chat one day where the person just said you can't you know stand on the fence, you've got to choose, do you follow Jesus or or do you not? But you're, you're sort of sitting on the fence and you need to make a call. And so she decided to follow Jesus. And uh, my dad just didn't really have an interest. He loved to uh, race motorbikes. He was very good at that. He did a lot of that. And that always happened on Sundays. And so he, he did that. And just faith wasn't something that was interesting to him that he wanted to explore. And so it, it was a whole patch of many years. And our, our early childhood, we can't really remember much of it, but we're yeah, there just wasn't an interest in uh, faith. And, and it was just so, so interesting. Uh, my mom said the one morning, uh, she she sort of got up for church. And our church was a very casual church. Uh, so people sort of, whether it was shorts or definitely not the suit and tie type of churches. Mm-hmm. And she said it was like really early uh, in the morning. And suddenly my dad gets up early. He gets into like a suit and a tie. And she's like, uh, Tony, what, what are you doing? Have you got a meeting or something? He's like, no, I'd like to come to church with you. And uh, so she was quite shocked. She's like, well, you don't have to dress that smart, but, but sure, why not? Uh, come along. And uh, he, it started the process for him. And he started to ask the pastor their questions. Um, and it was, it was a fair amount of time before he then gave his, his life to the Lord. But it was, it was such an example of both, I think, my mom and many others, their, their prayers over years and years. Yeah. And then God suddenly just touching my dad's heart. And that really started the trajectory for us as a family, um, for them raising us to know the Lord, uh, making Jesus and his church a priority. So it was quite a significant uh, change. I mean, I'm quite annoyed that I didn't get to race all the motorbikes and, and do those <laughs> sorts of things. But, uh, you know, I'm obviously more grateful that my dad follows Jesus. Yeah. So money was extremely tight. Give us, you know, stories where you just knew that God was, was providing. Yeah, it was it was so uh, interesting, and a lot of that came as a result, actually, of my dad taking uh, Jesus as as priority. And I think when he became a believer, I think he was working at uh, Coca Cola actually at the bottling plant uh, in Harare, and then he moved on and was working in a furniture company, and he was doing very well. He and and at that stage, 
uh, we we actually were able to fly to England and it, it was sort of, we, we had lots of um, wealth. We didn't really have to, when I say lots, we didn't have to think about that much. Mm. And he then became a Christian and he then started to see this real conflict between the way the company that he was working for uh, was doing business and doing business operations and his newfound belief. And so he came home the one day, we were junior school, I would, I would imagine I was probably about eight or something at the time. He came, he came home and he, we were sort of waiting. I think we were sitting around the dinner table and he walked in and he was like, hey guys, I got a DCM. And we were like, uh, what, what do you mean? What's a DCM, dad? We thought that this is quite exciting. What could this be? And he says, um, I got a don't come Monday, which uh, was, was he'd, been, he'd been fired. It was a Friday. And, uh, and so we just celebrated as kids. We were just like, yes, dad never has to go to work again. This is incredible. <laughs> we can play with him the whole time. And uh, they sort of sat down. He's like, well, it's not going to be quite like that. And, you know, obviously I'm going to have to find some other work and we're still going to have to put uh, bread on the table. So he lost that job. Uh, well, he was fired. And the reason for him being fired, uh, which I, I thought actually said to him in times past was so special, uh, is for letting his personal beliefs interfere with company policy. Right. And and that was the reason I just thought, well, if, if there's any way for you to be removed from a job, that's the way to be removed. But mm. it just started a really difficult time for our lives uh, money-wise. And two stories that jump out to me that were amazing. There were many times where my mom would be praying uh, around the garden and just going, Lord Jesus, there's just nothing for dinner. Mm. There's no money. You know, there's either nothing or maybe there's going to be plain bread, but what, you know, bread and butter, but, you know, what, what should we do? There's nothing on the horizon coming. And, you know, sure enough, a few hours later, there would be people who would come to the gate and they'd say, you know, it's just the strangest thing. We just really felt that we needed to bring you a whole basket of groceries mm. um, or we really thought we needed to bring you dinner. And people who didn't even know the context of what we were going through, just Love amazing, that. miracle after miracle of provision. And there was another one where, uh, my sister had really wanted to go on this camp and she didn't have, we didn't have the money for the camp. Well, we did have the money, but my mom and dad really believed in giving to the local church and they were just regular tithers, whether we had a lot or whether we had a little. And my mm -hmm. dad had actually written out the check to, at the times of checks back in the day, to put into the the offering at church. And that amount was exactly for uh, what it would be for my sister to go on this really special camp. She wanted to go on with friends. And so he said he had this time with God going, but God, I feel you still want me to give to church, but I know that if I give to the church regularly, as I do with this little bit that we have, it means there's absolutely nothing left for her to go on the special camp. But he just prayed about it and he just said, Lord, I just know that you're asking me to, to do this. So he put the um, amount of money or the check into his Bible and he, he closed it and he was working out how he was going to say to my sister, um, I'm just so sorry, but we don't have money for this. And he says literally that afternoon, he got a phone call from a friend saying, hey, uh, we, we, just, we just really want to pay for your daughter to go on camp. So we would love her to come. And uh, it, he just said it was sort of tears and was one of the most special yes. moments of you honoring God and God comes through and provide. So I count those times, uh, and, and, and then he went later on, they, they did um, better work-wise, and, and he continued in business. But I go through those times and say they were some of the hardest times for us as a family, but they were also some of the most exhilarating, thrilling, seeing God's miraculous provision times that I know have shaped 
uh, my perspective and our family's perspectives on trust in God and trust that he's a good dad who always gives you everything that you need. Yeah. Not always what you want, but most definitely always what you need. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's Philippians 4.19, isn't it? My God will meet all your, not all your wants, but all your needs according to his yes. glorious riches in Christ. Oh, I find that very challenging, you know, as a father right now with kids wanting to go on camps and that sort of stuff, you know, to, oh, to, to, to sacrifice that in the, the the trust, you know, putting God for seek first the kingdom of God and all the rest gets thrown in. That That story just really challenges me. So thanks for that. Uh, moving, moving, moving on. Sort of high school. I, is that, that's where you came to faith, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I, I probably knew and had a relationship uh, with the Lord. Maybe, maybe a bit earlier on. I couldn't really necessarily remember moments that I give my life to the Lord. And it was, or, or if I had, it was one of those ones where you kind of keep asking God into your heart because you're not really sure at certain points when I was really young. But I'll never forget, uh, it was Form 1. Uh, there was someone who had started these, the, this new church actually at the senior school hall where I, I joined that school. And I went along a few times. And, and I just, I, I, I won't forget, we were on the back row on the benches, which is where all the kind of cool teens hung out. You know, you kind of went to church, evening service, meet the ladies. That was the reason. And half the time it wasn't about finding God at all. I remember at the end, uh, the person who was leading it um, just said, hey, listen, um, if, you know, the standard uh, gospel um, message invitation would, if you don't know God, if you want to be sure or whatever it is, I, I, I would love you to raise your hand. So that was fine. I was like, okay, nobody's looking around, put up my hand. And then as some people do, uh, you know, he said, I, I just want you to take one more step tonight. And I want you to walk to the front and we want to celebrate this and we want to pray for you at the front. And I just sat there going, Oh Lord, I know you asked me to put up my hand. My heart was racing mm -hmm. and I just knew the bench was all now going to see me, everybody at the back. And I was going to have to walk right from the back all the way to the front. And so my sort of knees were shaking, but I just knew it's one of those ones where I just knew God was calling me to make a, a real stand. And so I, I headed to the front and, you know, there was lots of tears. I do get uh, teary and emotional. And, and I really count that as a moment of, of nailing my colors to the mast as it were. Um, and, and I never, ever looked back. I didn't feel the need to question whether God had touched me or changed my heart. I just knew from then, I'm just a son and that's never going to change. Hmm. Uh, so it was a really special moment at the, at the start of my high, school, my high school period. So uh, from my experience, I mean, I was maybe similar age or a couple of years old. I was, I was 15 when I made a profession of faith. And then I sort of definitely sort of lived in, in two worlds. Was, was that your experience? Yes, unfortunately, as you said, it does seem to be the case with uh, with many. I think I did well for maybe 13, 14, 15. And then definitely it just came that time of, of trying to fit in, wanting to be, as people might say, on the, the in crowd. And so I started to try and live in both worlds. And it was, it was really bad when I think about it, but I would do things like lead at youth group. At that time, I was leading in the band and I would be doing talks and then I'd go and meet my friends at nightclubs uh, afterwards um, or at the bowling alley, which in Harare was the real, the real hangout. Still wanting to follow God, but at the same time, still trying to dabble and keep my feet sort of in where the rest of society was going. Probably one of the hardest moments in my uh, teenage years, but one I'm most grateful for, again, for the trajectory of my life. And again, I believe I was a Christ follower, but uh, the Lord got my attention through this was there was one of those nights I'd just been 
to youth and I phoned my friend straight afterwards and I just said, hey, where are you guys? I would love to uh, love to come and meet up with you. And they said, oh, no, we're, we're, we're going to be at the bowling alley. Come and, come and meet us there. And so I, I drove off there. I arrived and as I got out the car, there was sort of the whole crowd of them all around me. Um, and so I, I walked towards them and I thought this was all just a normal chat. And uh, suddenly I realized the one started sort of saying to me, like, what are you trying to do? You are somebody who's different to us. You are a Christian and at school we see you different, but then on the weekends you're trying to be our friend, but you're not really our friend. You're not other people's friends. And uh, they tried to do it was sort of, I thought it was a bit unfair, like an eight against one type scenario. Um, and they got a few kicks and punches and hits and stuff. And, and thankfully, I think if I had fallen down, it would have been way more serious. Um, I did the very brave thing and I focused on one corner of the circle and I just bolted as fast as I could and broke through two of them and ran as fast as I could into the bowling alley to <laughs> escape. <laughs> and uh, I, it, was, it was terrible because uh, people who are particularly men maybe who are listening, you know, you're now second year before, high, before the top of high school. And when you're the one who got beaten up and sort of ran away or wanted to get away, you are not considered a high profile at school. And so for that year, and definitely the few months after that, I really got the sense of the Snickers or guys being like, oh, Craig, you were the one who, who got beaten up. And, and it was just, it was a really awkward, difficult time. But it was at that very moment that for me, I almost felt, now, now that I think about it, that it was kind of the same question that God posed to my mom back in those years was, was Craig, you can't live on the fence. And actually, it's going to be unhealthy for you to live on the fence. It's going to be unhealthy for other people. It's going to be unhealthy for your witness for me. Um, as Jesus to, to be on the fence. And so I want you to choose. And, and, and it was a real, again, a no looking back time in my life um, in that to go, okay, God, actually, I'm, I'm done with living that way. And it's, and it's 100% for you. And God was so faithful. My final year of school turned around and he put me in astounding positions that I didn't think that I would be in. It set the course for me being involved in youth ministry and church leadership and really the trajectory of my life. So a really tough moment, a tough year because of what happened as, as a result, but, but one I'm just immensely grateful for because the Lord really used it to, to show me the way to live. And about this time, Zimbabwe starts just going, going steadily downwards, doesn't it? And yeah, Mugabe's move um, in terms of dispossessing farmers, etc. cetera. Um, how did that affect you? Yeah, it, um, so, so we in the towns were a lot more um, protected. Our biggest uh, effect was in two ways. Number one was a lot of farmers' children starting to move into town, move into schools. There were the people who were killed and there were people who had lost their livelihoods. There was lots of people leaving the country. Uh, so it was a very unnerving time. And then at the same time, that's when the economy started to really go on a downward trick on the back of the farm invasions um, and economic instability. So it was the start of the process, which some of you might know or not, with the spiraling inflation, the banknote printing, the food and fuel shortages. So it started the phoning around, find out that there's fuel at a petrol station. You race off there with your, your two cars basically on empty. Uh, you get there and the queue is about, I don't know, 150, 200 cars long. You all get your ticket or you don't get your ticket and you try another petrol station and you've 
hunting around for bread and you you using huge brick notes to brick wads of notes to try and buy basic commodities. So it really started to ramp from the end of my high school years uh, for the next five to six years. So so for sort of the late nineties into the mid two thousands is is when things really went uh, downhill uh, Zimbabwe wise. Hi folks, this podcast comes out under the auspices of Great Lakes Outreach and over the next few weeks, over the Easter season, we're doing an appeal for a fantastic project. We are building a pastor's retirement village in Karuzi in Burundi, basically. They are often these pastors left on the scrap heap of life, having given their everything for decades. There's no social security, there's no pension system in Burundi. And unless their family take care of them, they can end up absolutely destitute, hungry, and even regretting that they gave their life to ministry. That is so wrong. And so we are looking at buying 17 and a half hectares of land, which means that the whole project will be self-sustaining. Uh, for 25 pounds or 30 dollars, you could buy a hundred square meters. And that is a gift that will keep on giving for decades to come as every harvest season, fresh crops will be grown and provide for these precious people that gave their whole lives to ministry. It's a brilliant project. I'd love you to be a part of it. Just £25 for, for or $30 for 100 square metres or more. Uh, go to greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash pastors. That's greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash pastors so that we can honour those who honoured him. I was young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or with their children begging breath. That's what we want to be contributing to. Great idea, brilliant vision. It's going to happen. Do you want to be a part of it? Please do. All right, let's get back to the podcast. So you got the opportunity to study overseas and you went off to America. And you, you, but, but I guess most people tend to not come back if they get the opportunity to leave. I mean, that's definitely the case in Burundi as well. Um, but I love it that you came back because you love your country. Why did you come back? Uh, Simon, so good uh, and very true. I reckon almost everyone, maybe 95 to 98% of people who have the opportunity to leave and study, never return or just to leave anyway, never return. And that was also my intention. I did love uh, the country, but that was sort of my plan of focus as well. So I did a little bit of a stint studying America, studied uh, Cape Town, uh, economics and finance, and began applying for jobs. Actually got a really good job in Cape Town. And I said yes to that job. And as I said yes, I got an email from a nonprofit organization in Zim doing camps and uh, doing school mission things, the one when you came out and helped. Mm -hmm. And they just said, listen, the director has, um, has stepped down and, and we feel you're the right one for the job. And we can't really offer to pay you anything, mm -hmm. but we really would love you to come and lead this organization. It was hyperinflation. It was the end of it. We had just come out with a $100 trillion note. I mean, it was chaos in Zimbabwe, but they just said, we think you're the person for the job. And it was one of those moments where I received that email. And as I read it, I just knew the Lord, not audible, but as close to audible as you can, was saying, that's for you. That's mm. my plan for your life is to get back to the country and make an impact. And so I got all the people I just committed to for the job. I said, listen, this is the story. I want to honor what I've said to you, but would you release me? And uh, they just said, we also think it's actually the right thing that you do that. And so that was 2009. And it was, I said no to that and no to life outside, no to sort of the corporate life and what I'd studied and came back to do ministry in Zimbabwe. Mm. And it was a real God moment. Yeah. 
And, you know, that, that was clearly a time of equipping, wasn't it? Because you've got that entrepreneurial spirit and we'll, we'll come to that. So those years weren't in any sense wasted in terms of, uh, yeah, those skills being uh, reared in you. Um, you had fantastic impact on the lives of many, many young people. Any stories from that? Uh, I, I mean, there's just so many I could share, many coming to faith, seeing many teenagers uh, come to faith from not looking in the direction of God at all and go on to either be church pastors or to be uh, leaders in their sphere of influence. So countless ones of those. Also some amazing, miraculous ones that came back. And I mean, it was a miracle the organization had even survived through hyperinflation. So I came back to sort of no funds, uh, anything like that, beaten up vehicles, people hardly able to cover the cost of, uh, of, of camp fees or us even having the fuel to get to these mission trips. And I remember one, we had this uh, old uh, beaten up uh, boat that we used sometimes. The starter motor had broken. It was on a pull start. And it's just one of the things that the, the campers out there just love to do. And so uh, we, we, we got out to camp and it just would not start. No matter what we tried to do, uh, it, just, it just wouldn't start. And I could just see the look on these sort of 80 teenagers' faces, like, but this is why we've come. I mean, <laughs> many of them coming because they don't know Jesus, many coming anyway because as teenagers, of course, you want to be on a boat and do water sports. And so I, I just had the spark in my mind from God going, get everybody around, pray over this boat motor, and it's going to start. <laughs> so I was like, but Lord, this is going to be the most awkward moment ever for me, because if I do this, and I hadn't really stepped out that much in faith at the time, I tried to live it. If I do this and it fails, you always have these questions when God asks you to do things, when he asks you to step out in faith. But I did it. I got everybody around, said, we're all going to pray. So I think we grabbed shoulders or whatever else, and we prayed and I just said, Lord Jesus, please, you know, this, this motor is going to start. And so I pulled um, the pull start, nothing. And I was just like, well, you see, Lord, you know, this is now, now how awkward is this going to be? You know, I thought that I was going to trust you and stepping out on faith. And I felt him say, no, once more, you need to pray once more and it's going to start. And so I, I said again, no, guys, sometimes, you know, the first time God doesn't always come through. We need to step out of faith. And so I, uh, well, we prayed again and I was really trying to muster up the faith in it and uh, just trust God in that process. Tried it once more. Before I pulled, I remember just going, Lord Jesus, please, I do not want to go home in the most awkward time of life. Just, just pulled on this thing and it just burst to life. The, the cheering and the joy of these teenagers, and they spoke about it for months and years to come. Did you see how God started oh, that? Love that? Did you see how he, how he came through? Uh, that was one. The, the one other I, share, um, I would share was, you sort of think these are the simplest things. This huge swarm of bees literally moved in to the site where we, where we had the teenage camp the night before a huge swarm. We're sort of going, what, what can we do? We couldn't get someone to come and get rid of them. We tried to smoke them. It was, it was just crazy. And we were sitting going, this is, this is just terrible. And again, you have that little whisper from the Holy Spirit, go there and pray that they leave. And I was just like, okay, Lord, well, you know, let me, let me just try and try and do this. So, so, so headed across and Again, got all the staff and everyone around and we prayed, Lord Jesus, please take these away. Obviously, they were just buzzing. Next morning, right before um, the, the, the campers arrived, gone, not a trace. Beautiful. And, uh, you know, it was, it was just, these might sound like small things, but what I love is that God cares about the small details. He cares about everything in our lives and he wants to show himself and show himself real in every aspect. So an encouragement to you if you're listening, just 
just trust them uh, in, in the smallest things and, and you'll be astounded at what he does. So those were a few stories. One last one, I'm probably talking too long, but one of my friends at school uh, was a government minister's child and uh, he wasn't um, a believer. And I'm, I'm not sure if he gave his life to the Lord, but he ended up committing suicide in America many years later. Hmm. And his dad, the government minister, was known to really dislike white people. In fact, he openly said to his son, I never, ever want to see a white person on my property ever. And he was actively one of the leading top people in the ruling party at the time who uh, was involved and, uh, and active against much of the, the evil and the policy in the country. And so I heard this news of his son dying. In fact, this was right before I, I think I, just before I started at, um, at the ministry. So I'm, I'm backtracking slightly, but you must hear the story. And so I, just before I was about to get on a plane to leave, I felt the Lord saying, you need to go to that government minister's house and you just need to go and you need to take a letter about the fact that God still cares about him, even though he's lost his son and you need to go and see him. And you need to understand for people who don't know this, you don't just go to government ministers' houses. They're guarded by the police force. You don't just make these sorts of uh, plans. But I knew that he lived further away from our house. So I wrote a little letter. I said to my mom and dad, I'm not sure how this is going to go, but I feel I'm supposed to do this. They said, well, we're praying. My parents are always good at saying, do what you think God is telling you to do. Mm -hmm. So shout out to parents who release their kids to that. And I drove. And I got to the gate and the police were there. And the police came out and they said, what do you want? And I said, uh, I really believe that I need to see. And this is a weekday. So my plan was to actually just drop off the letter. And I, I thought that the government minister would be, you know, at parliament or something. But my plan was is to drop it off. If there was family there, I would obviously see them. So the police take the letter and they go inside the property. And I'm sitting there going, Lord, this is the perfect time for me to bolt in the car because I've dropped off a letter. It's good enough. And it says, sorry. And I'm so sad. Let me leave. Uh, but I just, the Holy Spirit kept me in my car, kept me waiting. And so the police came out again and they said, please, can you leave your car? Follow us. So now I'm sitting going, does this mean I'm going to my end? Does this mean that uh, life is going to end for me? What's going to happen? And so I followed them and we walk and it's, um, it's kind of a, uh, through, through the garden and the trees are, and I'm trying to ask the police on the way, but guys, um, you know, what, what's the story? Like I can just, uh, everything's going to be okay. And they said, no, no, no. He happens to be here this morning, the minister, and he wants to see you. And I just thought, Lord, of, uh, of, of all the times to see him, he's actually here. And so we sat down and he was so grateful and I, I shared my heart and I don't know if he's a believer now, but it was another opportunity that God gave. And when God whispers something in your heart, no matter how crazy it sounds, I know Simon, you've lived this out with much of your uh, even more scary moments in Burundi, but just to everyone listening, uh, listen to that still small voice, step out and you'll be amazed at what he does. Mm. Yeah, well done. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated because also we're involved in loads of entrepreneurial stuff uh, in Burundi and sort of empowering and people out, out of poverty. Um, so how did that journey concretely start? Yeah, well, I, um, I ended up stepping away from uh, the ministry I was leading. Just it was lots of travel. You'll know you came on some of those trips with me and visited the family. And then we, we headed off on the trip. And so it's a lot of travel. And so I, um, I, I ended off that and was involved in church life. And then God just put on my heart. I think part of what we went through at Zimbabwe with, with hyperinflation and, and just Zimbabwe we went through, he really put on my heart of helping us to think about things of eternal value rather than earthly things. You know, we can, we can pursue 
big bank accounts and and great cars and comfort and making sure it, all our ducks are in a row. And Zimbabwe and the time we went through really showed me that our one true security is heaven and that's the only security we should really worry about. And so I started sort of just a blog, a grassroots ministry uh, called Unseen Pursuit or Up Life for Short, really just my heart for helping people to think about things of uh, eternal value. And so uh, it, it, it was very much just a, a faith type blog thing while I was leading in church. And over time, God grew that and, and grew uh, opportunity for us to, to make an impact and to really serve the, the least of these uh, in, in Zimbabwe, which I believe is us living with an eternal perspective. And so that, that started the process of, of, of really ingraining myself, as it were, in, in wanting to make a difference in the nation to the poorest of the poor and helping people to live with the right perspective. And I love it that um, I mean, you, you said that this one elderly couple gave you 20 pounds just to sew into that. And that was the one gift, wasn't it, that literally made you think, yeah, God, I'm on track and I can keep running with this. And and so, you know, when people respond to prompts, I mean, sometimes people give me very small sums of money, quite specific ones, or kids empty their piggy bank. And they're just so powerful, that sewing, isn't it? That, that, that process. And you can believe in someone else and respond to a prompt for someone else's ministry. And that can be a complete game changer. Uh, absolutely. I, I sent out this email, sort of just pouring out my heart about helping people live with this eternal perspective. And uh, I sent it out to your know, sort of closest friends and to, to, to people that I knew and some business people. And, and it was just amazing. Lots of people responded saying, oh, great idea. Um, you know, kind of, kind of go for it. And you're right. Um, I, I sort of waited. I was really, in some ways, uh, dejected after the first few days. And when I got that email from this, this older couple just saying, hey, we don't have a lot. Uh, we don't have a lot to give, but we really believe in what you're wanting to do. And, and you're right, here's all we can do is the 20 pounds. To me, it felt like a million bucks. To me, it felt Brilliant. like there's people who believe in this and, okay, Lord, I'm going to keep going. And so you're right, both on the giving side for people to know the smallest, the, the, it's the five loaves and two fish story. It's like, this is all that I have and I'm willing to use it. And so both on the giving side, know that a little goes a long way, has huge impact. And also for people maybe listening who are going, the Lord's maybe putting on my heart to, to start something or to start a ministry or to step out in faith, um, go for it. And, and God will give you just what you need for, for each step. But, but such, a, such a special moment. It, it really was such a powerful time. And God's grown and grown the organization. And uh, you've seen hundreds of people start, uh, training to start a business on $1 a day. What does that, what does that look like? Oh, Simon, this is, I, I just love this. So a, a friend of mine, Sean Mullins, a great friend, uh, he had this idea to help uh, people um, come off the street. You know, Zimbabwe's sort of 90, 95 to 98% informal sector. And so the majority of people have to be entrepreneurs. Uh, there's not many who are going to study and then find a normal job. And so that's where we're at, probably similar to Burundi in some ways. And so this friend of mine had started this sort of training course. He ended up having to go to back to England because of health things. And it just, it sort of grabbed my heart, the, the, the sort of training. And so we, we do trainings. They're either intensive over three days around the country and Southern Africa, the Lord's opened up doors to uh, Lesotho and Mozambique and Tanzania and Kenya coming up and, and a number of other places. But, but we do uh, rural settings. We do it in high density, poor areas in Zimbabwe. We do it um, regularly every Thursday uh, now at a center and basically it goes through a process of, of sharing with the poorest of the poor that 
uh, everything that we own and everything that we have is God's. He owns everything. He loves us. He cares about us. And if we're faithful with the little and if we're uh, honest and we live with integrity, he can do much with the little. And so uh, we, we do these trainings and it is it's incredible to see what God does and, and including myself, but it, many other people there go, how can you start a business on one dollar? How is that even possible? And it is. There's countless, countless testimonies. The success rate is well over 70% of people who complete the course who end Wonderful. up living, standing on their own two feet. And one story I'll share this this lady, and this is a recent one. So probably about nine months ago, I was actually on that training, um, a lady who was, who was in poverty, doing nothing. And she came to the training and it's amazing. People get together, they present a business plan. And so she started off with uh, selling uh, with her $1 Maputi, which is uh, sort of uh, maize popcorn. And so she started just next to her house and she built up and she was faithful. And then she started doing a few other things. And then she got into bananas with her, with three of her friends who had also done the training. So this is nine months ago. And now nine months on, we just chatted. Um, They are now doing 6,000 bananas a week. And they're each earning four to five hundred dollars a month from one dollar wow. nine months ago to four to five hundred from being faithful <laughs> a little. And there's countless stories like that. That's just a recent one. And I just sit and say, Lord Jesus, uh, what a privilege! I mean, it's just it's yeah. just the most absolute privilege to be able to help and support and see people who believe there's no hope to both hear the gospel, encounter Jesus, yeah. uh, which is more important, their eternal destination, and then to start providing for their family and others. Um, it's it's beautiful. It's so mm. special. Absolutely love that. And I don't know whether specifically in this case, maybe you can confirm it, but invariably when you train a lady, you're talking about she's got four kids in tow. And so it's it's empowering so many, so much more um, blessing out, out of poverty. It's huge. And, and not only that, because of the state of the nation, um, in all the rural areas, uh, pastors, their congregations are very, very poor. And so they don't really get a tithe in as a salary. And so they really want to serve Jesus. They want to lead their churches. But in many ways, they have to have a business or their wife has to have a business to be able to survive and actually do ministry in the hardest areas. And so we do loads of trainings for pastors. And it's just so releasing to see them go, actually, either collectively as a husband or wife or their kids being involved in the business, they can either send their kids to school or they can actually do ministry whilst at the same time providing for their family. So it's really opened the door to to ease the burden of pastors in rural Zimbabwe, which which I'm loving seeing as well. So yeah, it's, it, it truly is a joy to be part of it. Love it. Uh, Nick, stop again talking to him before uh, we started talking now. He said, uh, Craig, uh, one, I mean, it's a compliment. He said, he's mad as a hatter. He's got so much stuff going on. Now, I, I, I don't really know what to ask in, in the limited time we've got in terms of all the other balls you're juggling. I mean, you've got li- Living Ball Sports Ministry, you've got resource, resourcing rural pastors with Bibles and bicycles, you've got life planning, you've got building classrooms, preschools. What do you, what do you want to share? <laughs> Simon, uh, you shouldn't ask me those questions. And I am a bit of a mad hatter. Uh, so Nick is, Nick is spot on with that. I'll, I'll, I'll give that to him. I'll have a chat with him after this, uh, just to sort him out on that. No, not, not at all. I think similar to, to maybe uh, Great Lakes Outreach that you do to GLOW, um, I love to find uh, 
local partners. I love to find uh, ministry people who are living sold out for Christ and having an impact, living in their sweet spot. And I love to get behind them and, mm. and help and guide and encourage them in what they're doing, as well as starting new things as Uplife. And so I, I don't think, um, I, I won't share lots um, on those um, those different things that you've shared, but yes, we're, we're involved in education and loving that, uh, helping uh orphans, single or double orphans, get the basic education. And then I really see it as um, as a way for them later to then move on and learn in DAPI as they get into the basics of English and maths and be able to provide for themselves, um, even coming out of of orphans. So we're involved in, in sorting and um, different school centers, which function as churches on the weekend and in DAPI trainings. Uh, centers as well around the country in poor areas. So loving that. I love sport. I wasn't the best at rugby, but I, I, I love it. And so a friend of mine who does sports balls coming out of South Africa, we um, bring those into the country. And then with with some other friends, a great friend of mine, Shep Govere, um, we, we speak and, and, and him and his team at, at schools around the country. I think last year, um, and obviously COVID, it's been less openness, but last year um, with Living Ball, we were able to speak to well over 200,000 children uh, about the gospel. And then we leave those sports balls at the poor schools. So they actually have things to to play with. Um, I love resourcing pastors. I'm also a pastor at heart. So I love resourcing pastors. So uh, we do what we can to to really bicycles help pastors get around. A lot of them can't afford a study Bible. Um, we Anything that help, helps people to further live out the gospel and share the gospel, I love to get get behind. And so, yeah, if, if people want to find out more, they can look at the website and time or whichever else. But, but people can just know that anything um, this Mad Hatter can find that can help advance the gospel, I care about it. Yeah. Um, I will share one story of um, Beans for Life. And this will be a quick one if we have time. But uh, this is, again, how God works and uses small ideas. So we always give our baked beans. Um, we try to have them in the car. We give them out to people on the street that we see, that we feel God puts on our heart. We ask our two girls and say, hey, girls, uh, what, what would you um, like us to who would you like us to share with? And we ask them to ask the Lord, uh, my wife, Sarah, and I, and we, we, we do this. And so we've been doing this for a while. It was actually um, my wife, Sarah, who, who keeps me um, yeah, sold out for Jesus. She's just a great friend, my, my best friend, and, and she loves the Lord probably more than me. And so she, she's been doing this back beans for a long time. And then we had this idea, what happens if we take it a step further? What happens if we print something on this baked bean tin that both shares the gospel, but also gives people directions and an opportunity to go to these in day P trainings. So uh, it's, a, it's a hand up, not a handout. It's keeping people accountable. Um, we share the gospel. We hand out the baked bean tins because we've printed this on them. But we then tell them, but listen, you're not just going to keep getting baked bean tins. You need to go on the training. And so we, we go through a long process trying to find a cannery that will do this for us. And we start the process. Now, we shared this just on our Uplife mailing list. How crazy that friends of mine, um, they had a friend in a church in England. And when he was um, at university in England, he had this idea to take baked bean tins around to poor people, I think it was even in Scotland, um, during his university time. And he used to put a little gospel message uh, and tie wrap it around these baked bean tins and he used to hand it out. And, uh, and he, he never really thought there's any, any fruit from it. But he saw this video and he said, oh my goodness, 20 years ago, I had this heart and I was doing this in Edinburgh. 
now people who I don't know are doing the same thing in Zimbabwe. Oh my goodness, I'd love to get behind this. Like God, it almost feels like God's redeemed my idea from 20 years ago. I mean, how crazy is God, eh? Mm. How he brings across a baked bean to an idea. And it's amazing how it's such a tool to share faith, but also see people raised out of poverty as well. So just a thrilling story of God's goodness too. Wonderful. And I'm glad you mentioned Sarah, because obviously integral part of you doing life together and your precious little girls and, and you getting them involved in ministry is great, isn't it? Oh, um, we love it. So um, I, I was so grateful that the Lord brought um, Sarah into my life. Um, we met, I was at a friend's party. I had a pink wig on. We were playing paintball and I, 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 I met her. She was up from varsity and I just really thought I was going to try and impress her. Um, I don't know what I thought I was doing wearing that, but she, and she really wasn't that impressed, I don't think, uh, at the time. But uh, she ended up volunteering for the organization that I was leading through Friends of Friends. Uh, we got to know each other and I wasn't wearing a pink wig the second time she saw me. And it started a friendship and a mutual love for Jesus and for his kingdom. And so, yeah, she's just a, a supporter and, and a friend. And we, we just really, when we, we came to the place of, of having kids, we just know that as parents, um, you know, we're, we're Jesus to our kids. And that's how they, that's how they see Jesus. And it's not necessarily about taking them to church. Yes, we should do that. But it's actually about them seeing Jesus in us day to day, mm. in how we respond to people on the road, in the way that we talk about people and the way we pray about things. And so we love having our girls involved. We get them as long as much as we can to events and to places that we visit. And it's just been so beautiful to see. In fact, we recently felt the Lord calling us to plant a church in Harare, Hope Church, three months ago. And we actually asked our girls. We felt the Lord leading us to this. So we sat around the table and we said, girls, and they're only eight and six, Layla's eight, Aaron six. We said, girls, mom and dad have been praying about this. We really feel we should plant a church, but we want you to tell us what you feel because we actually don't want to do this unless you believe Jesus is also asking us to do this. And these are just eight and six years old. And they, I mean, it was without question. They just said, that's amazing. We want to do that. Mm. We want to do that as a family. And so we, it's very much an us thing, even at eight and six, when we pray for people who are sick. We prayed for a lady down the road uh, who had slipped a, um, who had sort of got a bulging disc, slipped a disc, not able to work, uh, bedridden. We heard about it and uh, I was with the girls. She makes the most amazing curry. We buy it off her. And when we heard about this, um, I was just like, girls, let's pray. Let's pray for Bev for you to heal her now. And so I, we, we involve them in those sorts of things. And so for, for parents out there, both as husband and wife, um, you know, we're, we're a team, we're in it together, but also um, for your kids, involve them in what God's doing, the, the, the highs and the lows, because life isn't always easy, but involve them in it. And it's just so beautiful to see their excitement for Jesus and what he's doing. Hey, you didn't even finish the story on Bev though. Oh, yeah. I forgot. <laughs> yes, exactly. So we prayed. I mean, the funniest part of it is I just always thought that Bev was a Muslim. So I wanted to pray for her when, when suddenly God sparked this on me when we were collecting curry and she was like, I haven't been out to work and I actually can only sit. And so I said, well, is it okay if um, we pray for you? And she was like, um, actually, guys, I'm a Christian. That would be great. So um, she, she came from a different heritage and, and everything else. Um, her husband came out of um, Hindu faith, I think. She, she came different. Anyway, we prayed for her. Nothing happened um, immediately, instantly. And then probably a week ago, um, this is now a few months back, we kept praying for her. Um, and I had got the ghost prayer. A week ago, we were walking in our neighborhood. She drove down and she quickly slammed on brakes. She said, hey, guys, I have to share something with you. So she said, uh, you will never believe it. 
I've just come from the back surgeon because I'd been for two appointments, um, both before we prayed and she said she'd been praying a little bit and got a few other people to pray. We had, um, and the surgeon had said, listen, there's no way to solve this without surgery. It's, mm. um, it's, it's really bulging out um, and they, we just need to do a surgery. And she said, I've just come with the x-rays. And the surgeon isn't a Christian, uh, he sort of has some level of understanding of faith. And he says that the only way this could happen is a miracle. And if you look at the two pictures together, um, I've shown them to friends, I'm showing them to church. It is this massive push out and fluid push out in the one picture mm. and with no work done and, and everything else on the other, a few months of praying and trusting God, it's just a perfect spine. And um, it's just thrilling, you know, the, to, to see God in action. Sometimes his miracles are instant. I've shared some of those. Sometimes they take a bit of time. But uh, it, was, it was just astounding to see yeah. this absolute miraculous healing of her back. Uh, yeah. it's, it's been amazing. And our girls, for them to go, wow, dad, did you see? We prayed for her. Look what happened. Mm. And so they're just over the moon at God working. So, yes, I forgot. Great story of God's power. Yeah. Hey, listen, buddy, time's run out. And I'm, I'm sad in the sense that I know there's so many more stories. But look, how can people be in touch with you? Anything you want to plug? Um, my greatest plug would actually just be a challenge and a call for people to to live and think with um, an eternal perspective. It's so easy for us to get drowned into the things of this world and the busyness of life. But for us to keep remembering that we've got the small, tiny dash between our birth and between the time we walk through the doorways into the next life and everything that we do counts for, for eternity. But if we, we live with that focus that we're here for a short time, it just changes our priorities. It changes what we put effort into. It changes the legacy that we leave. So that would be one challenge. And then I think the other is just um, if anyone wants to, to find out more, they can go to unseenpursuit.life. Uh, it comes out of fixing our eyes on what is seen, but what's unseen, 2 Corinthians 4. And on there, there's different blog posts. There's some uh, great resources just to help us think with an internal perspective. You can find out more about the ministry. There's a video Bible study um, that we did with Right Now Media, uh, which people, there's a free link, can sign on. And it's just to help us again think about things of eternal value. That'll be the greatest thing. I just, I'm passionate about us making the best use of the short moments that we have on earth. So mm. I can, as long as I can encourage people in that, it's a joy. Brilliant, mate. Oh, it's been a real blessing. I'm feeling encouraged and inspired. <laughs> so Craig Roberts, thank you very much. No problem at all. Thanks, Simon. Great to be with you. Cheers, buddy. Hey, folks, yeah. listen, hopefully you've been encouraged and inspired. Please give us a great review on Spotify or iTunes. We'll put stuff in the blurb that Craig's talked about so you can check that out. Uh, I want to thank Adam Thomas Steer for the editing and Mike Sandman for the mixing. Next week, we'll have another fantastic guest. Yes, I love the range of stories that are getting in there. So we'll see you next time. Uh, keep going for it and in the meantime toodaloo